Our scripture reading today is from two chapters of Paul's first letter to Timothy, who was a young pastor. And you think about what a young pastor starting a church is going to have to do. Part of that will include establishing the office of deacon. So please listen now to God's holy and inerrant word. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Heavenly Father, um, we return these gifts, these tithes, these offerings to you. um, Because every blessing that we have and enjoy in this life has come to us through your hands. And Father, we pray that you would use these gifts, these offerings, for your glory in this world, in order that... These resources might be used to advance your kingdom upon this earth and to push back the darkness and brokenness of this world. We pray that they would be used in order that the wonderful good news of the gospel would be proclaimed to all the nations. And Father, we confess even now as we prepare ourselves to come and sit beneath your word that this same gospel that we long to go throughout all the earth We need it to be proclaimed to us this morning. And so we ask that you would stoop towards us and that you would meet us in our brokenness. That you would meet us wherever we find ourselves this morning. That you would meet us in our boredom. That you would meet us in our anxiety. That you would meet us in our complacency, in our fears, in our bitterness. That you would meet us in our joys and in our sorrows. That you would meet us in our secrets. That you would meet those of us who at least on the surface appear to be very, very good. And those who appear to be very, very bad. Meet us in our despair. Meet us in our comfort. Father, we pray this morning that you would come. Meet us wherever we find ourselves and shake us with your grace. We pray that you would help us to understand under your word this morning that we are all the same. 
despite what we may be feeling, despite what may be going on in our lives, we are all far more broken than we could imagine. And so together we need to hear the good news of the gospel to be reminded that it can be true, that though we're far more broken than we can imagine, we can also be, because of Jesus, far more loved and far more accepted, far more secure than we ever dreamed possible. Take us to this good news, we pray, and transform us with it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This time I'll... um, Dismiss the children, ages three to six, to Children's Church. So if you can make your way to the back of the sanctuary and head to Children's Church, please do that. Um, I mentioned in uh, our announcements that we are right now in a period where we're preparing ourselves to talk about uh, nominating men to the office of deacon. And So if you're visiting this morning, this is a little break from the usual for us. Uh, We'll be back on our regular sermon series next week where we're talking about uh, the parables that Jesus told. Um, But we're here because we're preparing ourselves to nominate men to the office of deacon. And it's this huge step forward in the life of our church, a very exciting time in the life of our church. Um, And so last week we talked about the nature of of the office of deacon, right? To serve as deacons is to serve in a ministry of deed. In fact, the word deacon uh, literally means a servant, right? And that's really, really important um, because we are to elect men and nominate men who are gifted to serve in a ministry of deed, in a ministry of deed that is aimed at, um, that's aimed at impacting real, felt, physical, physical, tangible needs of people. A ministry aimed at the brokenness that we can feel in this life. Um, And so we're looking for men to serve in that capacity. And, you know, that's all I'll say about it. You go listen to the sermon on the website from last week. You'll you'll hear more about that. Um, But this morning we're in 1 Timothy chapter 3 because this morning we're considering the, the character qualifications of the men who would serve in the office of deacon, right? And I really chose to handle this passage second uh, for the purpose of emphasis. Um, because, yes, it's an, it is an important, it is a big deal for you to consider the nature of the office of deacon, what it's really about, so that you can nominate men that can serve in that capacity. But a far bigger deal is character. I mean, you will see this trace all throughout Scripture. Character is more important than gifting. Who you are is far more important than what you do. But here's the deal. I want you to think with me. I really need you to think with me this morning. I want you to think not just about an abstract list of qualifications. I want you to think about character. As you hear this, I want you to think about character that has grown in the soil of the gospel. Um, I don't know if you remember ant farms from when you were a little kid or not. Um, maybe that was a 70s, 80s thing. I don't know. But uh, these thin little plastic, uh, clear plastic boxes, right? Or these little terrariums, basically. And children would uh, put into these little little boxes, they would dump soil into these gospels. And then they would put the ants and in, introduce the ants into the box, right? This little, make this little ant farm. And because it was so thin and because it was so clear, you could see the ants and you could see them tunnel their way down into the soil. 
And so you could see this vast, impressive network of tunnels that they would build underneath the surface. This past week, I was, uh, was watching uh, this video on YouTube, and um, it was of this artist who makes and sells um, castings of anthills, okay? I posted it on my Facebook wall if you want to see it. Um, and what he does is he goes out and he finds an anthill. You know, maybe it's three to four inches high off the, off the ground, off the surface of the ground. Um, and he takes molten aluminum and he pours it into the top of that anthill. And that aluminum runs down into all the various tunnels uh, that the ants have, have dug out, right? And so when the aluminum has cooled, he digs down and he, he uncovers this vast network, this casting of this anthill beneath the surface. And, it's, and what you see is actually quite impressive and, and even beautiful um, because under that little three-inch mound of dirt, right, uh, at the surface is this incredibly huge and vast and complex network of tunnels that extends nearly 20 inches beneath the surface, so six times as deep as it is high. Now, when some of us think about men qualified to serve as deacons, right, we rush to a checklist, 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we read earlier. And I want us to get there, but not until we see that character like that described in 1 Timothy chapter 3 is grown in the soil of the gospel. Character like that in 1 Timothy chapter 3, it grows out of something beautiful and impressive that's beneath the surface. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I, I want to turn the anthill upside down, if you will, right? And, and I want to expose the beauty that's beneath the surface that really explains the character on top of the surface, okay? Is that, hopefully that makes sense. Um, so here are my three points that, that I, I want to cover this morning, really set to answer this question. Who are the men who are qualified to serve as deacons at Grace Community Church? And this is what I want to tell you. They are men who are broken, and they are men who are resting, and they are men who are growing. Those are the three points. First, men who are broken. Please, please notice that I purposely phrase this point and all the subsequent points in the present tense. Men who are broken. Listen, I'm willing to bet that many of you have had this experience, and I, I know that I have. And for some of you here this morning, this experience that I'm talking about is a big reason Christianity is so, so very unattractive to you. I'm talking about when you... When you've had the opportunity, or even if it's been forced upon you to get vulnerable with someone, whether that's intentional or unintentional, when your mess, when your struggles, when your sin, when your brokenness gets flushed to the surface and comes to light, and what you get back is sympathy instead of empathy. That's hurtful. I don't know if you know the difference between sympathy and empathy, Brene Brown, she's a well-known author and researcher, and she says that empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. Because, you see, empathy sees you in your brokenness, right? And, and these are Brene Brown's words. It says to you, I know what it's like down here, and you 
are not alone. But sympathy says, oof, (laughs) it's bad down there, isn't it? Right? Or sympathy might say to you, it's bad, huh? I used to be bad like that. Thank goodness I'm not anymore. Christianity has become so unattractive to many of you because you have had someone who claims to be a Christian treat you like that. Or you have heard Christians, you've overheard Christians talking about people like that. Right? And as Southerners, we do it like this. We say, bless her heart. Bless his heart. And then we slam them with condescending, right, disconnecting sympathy. Poor little old them. And immediately when you hear that, a little warning signal goes off on the dashboard of your heart. Never be real with them. Never be open with them. You've got to measure up first. Here's what I'm saying to you this morning in this first point. You should expect that the men you nominate to the office of deacon, that they will be empathetic and not sympathetic with you. And here's why. It's because the men you nominate to serve as deacons should know their brokenness in the present tense. I know what it's like down here because I am down here and you are not alone. Paul, listen, Paul, the apostle Paul, right? The guy who wrote this letter to Timothy, the guy who wrote more books in your New Testament than any other author, the guy who planted churches all over the place. I think it's safe to say that he would make for a safe case study for who is qualified to lead in the church. And yes, he talks about his brokenness in the past. That's what he's saying in verse 13 of your passage. And some of you know his story in Acts before he became a Christian. Bad stuff. And see, when Paul calls himself a persecutor there, it's not a metaphor. Right? I mean, he was giving his approval to the imprisonment and the murder of Christians, people who followed Jesus. And you know what? We would absolutely love it if Paul stopped there. I mean, if Paul would just stop there, we would have the makings of an, a, a wonderful, inspirational 30 for 30 ESPN story, right? Or we would have a best-selling book or movie or something like that. Something that says, look at what I overcame in my life, right? But, but here, here's the deal, right? We love stories that go like that as long as they end like that. I was bad, but now I'm better. I was a terrible sinner, <laughs> But look at how much better I am now. Paul gives you something far more troubling than that. But it also turns out to be something far more beautiful than that. Because the Apostle Paul says the exact opposite of that. In verse 15, you have to notice the way he intentionally changes the verb tenses there, right? The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I was. No, he says, of whom I am, I am, present tense, the foremost. Paul is saying here to you this morning, the older I get, the more mature I get, the longer I go on, the more I grow up, the more things I have in my life to apologize for. Right? Paul is saying, the older I get, the more mature I get, the more I realize that the imprisonment 
and murder of human beings was just the tip of the iceberg in my heart. That there are tunnels and tunnels and tunnels of brokenness intersecting and weaving and winding their way through the depths of my heart. Pray that the men you nominate to office will not be full of condescending, disconnecting, I used to be broken sympathy. The men God calls must know their brokenness in the present tense, and you will be able to tell it in their lives because they will be empathetic. They know what it's like down here because they are there. And you're not alone, no matter what brand or strain of brokenness is evident in your life. Let me give you the biggest indicator of these kind of men. Something real tangible that you can get your hands around and, and understand so that, so that you can identify men who are broken. It's this. The words, I'm sorry, are regular parts of their vocabulary. And not exceptions to the rule but regular parts of their vocabulary. Look at Paul's transparency here. He is not in the least bit defensive. He doesn't have to wait for you to tell him how bad he is. I mean, he's beating you to the punch. He's the first to say, I'm far worse than you even know. Those two words, I'm sorry, are are two of the hardest words in the English language for most of us. And what I'm saying to you is men who are broken... They use them often. Men who are not broken are very, very defensive and not very transparent. Men who are not broken have a real stake in not seeing their sin. It's too threatening. It's too frightening. It's too crushing. For men who are not broken, they have to be defensive. It's not to their benefit ever to see, ever to be honest about, ever to admit their brokenness. Do you see the difference here? Men qualified for the office of deacon must be men who are broken. Now, stay with me because I I need you to turn the corner with me. Men qualified to serve as officers in the church are also men who are resting. Joy Davidman, um, who late in life married the great writer and thinker C.S. Lewis, uh, she was an ardent atheist before she met and married C.S. Lewis. And she wrote something very insightful after becoming a Christian. She wrote this. The only way to get rid of sin is to admit it. The only way to get rid of sin is to admit it. For without honesty, for without honesty, repentance, forgiveness, and grace are impossible. I'm telling you, only men who are honest about their brokenness are men in whom you will see the experience of repentance are men in whom you will see the freedom of forgiveness, are men in whom you will see the deep, deep rest that is created by the gospel. Why is that? Did you hear what the Apostle Paul said about Jesus in verse 15? Maybe even before we get get to that, just as important as what Paul did say about Jesus is what he didn't say about Jesus. Because Paul didn't say Jesus primarily came into this world To be a teacher. He didn't say that. And no doubt that Jesus was a great teacher. The best teacher that ever walked the face of the earth. But that's not the main reason he came into this world. And Paul didn't say Jesus came to be an example. 
to show you what a pleasing life to God looks like so that you could WWJD. Remember that? What would Jesus do? All right, that's a little old. Okay, no, no doubt. Listen, no doubt Jesus was the perfect example of a life pleasing to God. But that's not why he came. Paul says there in verse 15 that Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Men who are broken find deep, deep rest in those words. For broken people who can, who can trace the winding tunnels of brokenness throughout the depths of their hearts, Jesus as a teacher or as an example is, is worse than bad news. It's terrible news. Terrible news because broken people like the kind we are talking about this morning know that they do not need help and they do not need advice, right? And they don't need inspiration. What they need is a savior. Occasionally at, at, at Grace Community Church, we'll, we'll sing this hymn uh, written in the mid 1700s um, and, and it, the title is Come Ye Sinners. And here's how the final verse of that hymn goes. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth of you is to feel your need of him. If Jesus primarily came to be a savior, like Paul says here, and by the way, like Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, when he said, for the son of man came, why? To seek and to save that which was lost. If that's true, and it is, by the way, then that means all you need is nothing. To find forgiveness, redemption, salvation, and grace, all you need is need. And even without me explaining it here much further, you know what that means if it's true. If that's true, then you can rest. If Jesus came to be a savior. If that's true, then it doesn't matter who you are or where you've been or what you have done with your life. You can finally get off the performance treadmill and you can rest. All you need is need. You know, if you do any reading about sleep, you know, you know how important REM is to your sleep. Rapid eye movement, right? Um, and we, we know that, that when you achieve REM in sleep, you are, you are experiencing right, the deepest possible sleep. The deepest possible rest. Right? To get the rest you really need, it isn't about length of rest. It's about the depth of rest. The author of Hebrews wrote this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work. The men you need to lead you are men who have laid down their deadly doing. They have laid down even their righteousness. And they have entered into this deep rest, the REM of the soul. Men who realize that they don't need help, advice, or inspiration. Men who realize they need a Savior who came to live the life they could not live and die the death they should have died. 
Let me give you an indicator of someone who has found this deep rest. Paul goes on from verse 15 to talk about how he received mercy so that Jesus might display in him his perfect patience. Paul is saying, on on the mantle of God's fireplace, he has set me as a trophy to show me off to the world. And it's not because of any good in me. What Paul is saying is he is saying, I am a trophy of God's grace. Of everything God has done to rescue and save me. And see, here's the the indicator, right? Just the thought of this for the Apostle Paul causes him to break into song. Right, verse 17, all of a sudden he just leaves whatever he's talking about and he just goes to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. That's a song. It's really awkward and abrupt when you're reading it. Paul couldn't contain himself. Men who are resting are obsessed, not with performance, but with Jesus. Jesus is the chief delight of their hearts. They talk about Jesus a lot. They spend a lot of time getting to know Jesus better. They cast off everything that hinders them from seeing Jesus. In chapter 3, Paul says that the men you nominate to deacon, they must hold the mystery of, of the faith with a clear conscience. This is the mystery, okay? Grace and mercy. Sinners brought near. The broken are loved and accepted in Jesus. They are trophies of his grace. Real quick, you see Paul's obsession with Jesus. Let me tell you this. The kind of men you need to nominate to the office of deacon are men who love Jesus more than they will ever love you. Because only if they love Jesus more than they love you, more than they love their families, more than they love their careers, more than they love anything else in life, only men like that will actually wind up serving you very, very well. Okay, finally, I want us to consider that men qualified to serve as deacons at Grace Community Church will also be growing, okay? Last point. Now, I totally get it. Some of you, you're nervous to the point of hyperventilating because you think, you know, we've left so little time for chapter 3 and all these qualifications. To you, I want to say, take a deep breath um, and think for a second, lest you add anything to the free grace of the gospel and make it no gospel at all. There is this fascinating place in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, right? And it's this place where I can't get all into it this morning, but it's this place where he confronts the apostle Peter. Peter had basically withdrawn from hanging out with the Gentiles uh, to hang out with only the Jews. Basically, Peter was acting like a legalistic racist. Okay. And here's why that place is fascinating. Because Paul didn't confront Peter and say, Peter, you are breaking the racism rule. (laughs) He didn't say that. You know, he didn't he didn't bring out a checklist and say, look, it's right there. Rule number 43. No racism. No, what Paul said in Galatians chapter two was this. He said, Peter, you are not acting in line with the gospel. He, he was saying, your wrong behavior is a result of failing to think out 
the implications of and to live in line with the gospel. In other words, the gospel rightly understood and believed, it creates a particular predictable trajectory in the life of a believer. Right? See, this list in 1 Timothy 3 is a list of particular predictable character traits that grow out of the soil of the gospel. They grow in line with the gospel. I don't know if you've ever stopped to and realize that this isn't a list describing some kind of super Christian. Only nominate the super Christians among you. That's not what this list is. It's simply describing what you should expect to see in the life of anyone who is broken and resting in the gospel. And Paul isn't here talking about perfection of character. That's why I titled this last point, men who are growing. Right? Nominate men who, because of the gospel, they are, they are on this trajectory. They're in step with the gospel. They're in line with the gospel. See, verse 8, he says, deacons likewise must be dignified. And then everything that follows is a description of that dignified character that he's talking about, not double-tongued. Look, listen, beneath every lie that you have ever told in your life, every spin of the truth, every twisting of the truth to manipulate and gain control, underneath it all is fear. Right? Fear of being known, fear of being found out, fear of being seen, fear of loss of approval, fear of rejection. Right? It, but what if, what if, what if in Jesus you found someone who already knows you at your worst and so loved you that he willingly came to die for you? If that was true for you, it would start making you a person of integrity. You would find freedom to be honest and be the same with every person you meet. You know, the root word for integrity, right, is integer. You remember that little math term, right? An integer is a whole number. And Paul is saying the gospel comes and it grows wholeness of character. Not double-tongued. Truthfulness, the same inside as you are outside. The same with every person you meet. One scholar I read this past week takes the next two characteristics together and he writes that a deacon is not to be drunk on wine or money, right? He takes them together because they're both about self-control. To live in line with the gospel is to be growing in self-control. Paul writes to Titus and he says this, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It let me say that again. The grace of God that, that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It, that is the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. St. Augustine, early church father, 4th century, he wrote that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. See, you will always be grasping. You will always be impulsively reaching for something and anything to satisfy you, to numb you in your pain. You'll be out of control and the loves of your life will be radically disordered until you find your deep rest in God through Jesus. Paul is saying nominate men who are growing in line with the gospel like that. Men who are casting off what hinders and so easily entangles as the author of Hebrews writes. Because their eyes, as the author of Hebrews writes, because their eyes are fixed on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith. Skip down to verse 12, and you see that Paul takes the qualifications to a deacon's home life. Literally in the Greek there, it says that he should be a one-woman man, right? What does a man who is broken and resting in the gospel come to realize? He has come to realize the glorious, wonderful beauty of a Savior who set his love and his affections on his bride, the church. A Savior whose eyes and heart was never wondering, right? The faithfulness of a Savior who is unswerving even when it meant his own death on the cross to purchase her. You know, it's interesting that Paul says that if you want to see if a man is living in line with the gospel, look at his home. Look at his family. What difference is the gospel making in the most intimate relationships of his life? Can you trace the trajectory of the gospel there? Is he a hard man, impatient, cruel, provoking his wife and children to wrath? Is he a man full of hypocrisy, all his loves disordered? It will show up first and foremost in his family, Paul is saying. Or is he a man of confident humility? Those two things go together in the gospel. Confident humility, cherishing the beauty of sacrificial love, patience and faithfulness. We're nearing the end here, right? And, and then Paul also speaks about a deacon's wife in this passage. Verse 11, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Look, those qualifications really mirror the qualifications of a deacon. Right? When you're looking to nominate men to this office of deacon, look at their wives too, Paul is saying. Wives will be involved in their husband's ministry. She will be at times integral to helping him fulfill his duty. She also must be a woman whose life is growing in line with the gospel. That's what Paul is saying there. Now, listen, I already mentioned verse nine uh, in the second point. So let me highlight verse 10 as we bring this to a close. He says, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. See, Paul is saying, he is saying, this is a sampling of qualifications for the office of deacon. Because this is really what he's saying he, in this verse. He's saying the church, you. You should be able to see the gospel fleshed out in this person's life. The gospel, the free grace of God, it does not leave you unaffected. The gospel believed and received, it transforms life. It pulls your life into line with its trajectory. Does this mean that no effort is required? Absolutely not. Of course not. A lot of effort is required in growing in self-control and loving and leading a family well, right? And being a man of integrity and so on. But the gospel is what gives you the freedom to grow in this direction. And the gospel is what gives you the motivation for growing in this trajectory. Okay, last little thing here. My dad was a career Air Force guy. Um, it, I, don't, I don't even remember how many years he did. 30 years, something like that. Before retiring, um, he ran our country's main satellite base in uh, Colorado Springs. And I remember this one time when he took me on a little tour of that base, right? And he walked me into this building and we're punching codes and we're swiping cards, you know, and it felt so very, very serious and intense, uh, I remember. But, um, you know, we're passing through all these checkpoints and all this kind of stuff, and then we get to this big three-foot steel thick vault kind of door. And we open that door and go inside. 
And when we got inside, I've never seen so many computers in my life. Blinking lights going everywhere and all kinds of, you know, video screens, all that kind of stuff. And, but inside that room, there was another smaller room because that room was a pretty, pretty big room. But inside that room, there was a smaller room that was really probably about half the size of this room. And inside that room, sealed behind it, this big door, was a whole, a whole room, wall-to-wall computers from floor to ceiling and one digital clock. All those computers, he told me, were spent on keeping that clock in exact time. It's in there like the main clocks in Bethesda or something like that. This is the backup for it, okay? And he went on to explain why that was important that they kept this perfect time. Because, you see, they were in the business of launching satellites into particular orbits in space. And he said, you know, down here, it might not seem like a whole lot to be off by a couple of seconds. But fire that rocket hundreds and hundreds of miles into space. You're off a couple of seconds here. You're off a couple hundred miles in space. Look, trace the trajectory of the gospel in a man's life. Is he broken? Is he resting in the gospel? Then you will start to see this stuff fleshed out in his life. The qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You know, next week we'll begin taking these nominations for the office of deacon. And my simple encouragement to you this morning. And and by the way, if you're visiting this morning, please come back next week. We'll be back on a normal sermon. Um, But my encouragement to you is to take this seriously. And to pray about it, to think about and nominate the men you see who are broken and resting in Jesus. And as a result, have their lives set on a particular trajectory. Right? In line with the gospel. You should be able to see the transforming power of the gospel at work. In the way they live, in the way they speak, in the way they treat their families. In the way their wives live. In the way they treat their children. In the way they exercise self-control. Those are the men you need to lead us, that we need to lead us in the ministry of deed. Because these are the men who will love Jesus more than they love us. And by doing so, they will do us and our community worlds of good. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that in it you give us instructions about the kind of men that we are to seek to nominate, elect, and train for the office of deacon. This is an exciting time in the life of our church. It's an important time in the life of our church that we would find men who are broken, that we would find men who are resting in Jesus for everything. And because of that, live lives in line with the gospel. Father, we pray that you would bless our church by giving us these men. And by blessing our church in this way, we pray that we would be a blessing to this whole area, to our community. And we would be known as a church who cares not only about a ministry of word, but is likewise concerned 
with a ministry of deed to the real, present, felt, physical brokenness that is in this world as a result of sin. Father, we pray that you would do this, yes, for our good, because we need men like this to lead us. But ultimately, we pray that you would do this for your glory at work in the world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.